Hello and welcome to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. I'm Jenny Stevenson, your host, and joining me is Dr. Peter Bernstein. Today we're continuing in our series on how to survive through adversity. Dr. Bernstein, or Peter, as he likes to be called, is a coach and mentor with 49 years of experience helping people survive and grow through trauma, struggles, and hard times, the stuff of real life. The goal of our series is to help you discover what we've experienced, that adversity is more than a trial to endure. It can be an exciting opportunity to learn, grow, and thrive. Now, this is the second take, folks, so we have practice. The first one didn't take technically, so we should be better this time. Yes, you can rate us on yeah. this. <laughs> yes. Anyway, this is a, we have a special guest here today. Yes, Very special do. because she's on part of our teams over at the Institute. Um, Kelly Barling, very, very special team member. Um, she's got a way of reaching and, and, and reading our papers and bringing them more down to earth to reach more people. And we value her presence immensely. She's also part of the caregiving team for my wife. Um, she also takes care of a lot of things in that office that all the women are in, but I come in as a guest. Yes. Yeah. Honored guest. Honored, honored guest. And, you, you know, people think I'm the boss, but not in that room. But anyway, Kelly's there. But Kelly's here today. and uh, Let me just add that Kelly has also been a caregiver in her own family. Yep. For both her father and now for her mother. She's been amazing. Um, she's been with us now just about, I thought, Almost 10, 10 years. Almost 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. And um, she's been a wonderful addition to our family. Um, she also has an incredible amount of courage. Um, she takes care of her mom now, and she's got two sons. Mm-hmm. One of them's going to become a nurse. Um, and she took care of her dad. And um, her family was affected by the big wildfires uh, two years ago. What did they call them again? The- oh, Kelly, what were they? What were the names? Mine was the Tubbs fire. The Tubbs, Tubbs fires. Fire. And, she had uh, to evacuate, I think, And she twice. had to evacuate. Mm-hmm. And Kelly would go back in the midst of the fires and water down the house to see if she can prevent it from burning down. And she took care of her entire family. And her dad was quite ill at the time, and she would take him out, make sure he was safe, and the rest of the family, and then she'd go back. And She's an amazing lady. She's had plenty of distress in her life and stress. And... And heartbreakingly, after the house didn't burn, mm-hmm. and there was so much fire around there, but a week after they went home, her dad passed away. Is that was it a week? It was a couple a, weeks. A week. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Kelly had done so much to take care of him. Mm-hmm. Um, she's she's a caregiver, but she's also got a real brain for communication. To be honest with you, she's a great communicator. Uh, we value her. Every Monday we have team meetings. Um, and uh, we wait for Kelly because she will listen, and I want her to listen to what we've come up with, what we've done, what we've written, what we're going to do, and I like to get her translation. She she knows enough about our work to understand what we're talking about, but she doesn't, she brings to it, uh, holds on to a perspective that, that, you know, when people know what they're talking about, they can just start talking jargon, and people outside don't really know what's being said. She, reads, she hangs on to how will this sound to someone who doesn't know what. And this I is. love that. And to, in this part of my life, it's so special because I want to reach far beyond the professional community and far beyond uh, my professional degrees and roles that I've lived in for, gosh, a long time. And we've talked about it before. At this point in my life, because of 
where I've evolved through taking care of my wife, through taking care of others. Um, I see relating a human to human as being so much more valuable. And we've overcome, and we're overcoming something that I call stigma, which is, you know, to be a professional almost has a sting to it. It changes the nature of relationships very quickly. Um, I didn't ever really like it, but I accepted it until probably the last few years. And um, particularly after working with Navy SEALs, is that three, four years ago? Yes. And they really would, they didn't like the stigma of mental health. They didn't like being labeled with a tra traumatic disorders. They didn't want to consider themselves diseased. At all. And um, after hearing the kinds of missions they'd been on and how many, I, I agreed with them. And uh, even though the psychiatric community labels everything, I felt that their label was more accurate, and that was to not make it a disorder or a disease. At most, it, they would call it an injury. An injury, and that was true. They were mm -hmm. injured. But anyway, I agreed. And also, I didn't want them to, and they also did not want to be psychoanalyzed. They didn't want to be, which I don't do anyway, mm -hmm. and didn't do. But that's how touchy the relationship is a doctor. And um, I learned a lot from them, and that was their right. And the stigma is destructive and a barrier to really reaching people and for them to feel comfortable with with me. So we've we spent probably, we spent the last four years doing everything we can to get rid of that stigma. And after taking care of my wife, Lynn, and others who have been suffering and, and sick, uh, it strips you down anyway to who you really are. And it strips away all the things that are really not important. And it brings you to a place in yourself of what really matters. So that's what we're talking about. Well, that's why Kelly is, we value her so much. She lives in that space. Mm -hmm. um, um, she's practical. Um, she, wants to, she wants things to be understood by a whole range of people, not just a, spe a, spe a specific group. Um, and I, we all value what she has to say. We've had to drag her here because she doesn't like to be public, but... Um, doesn't matter. I am the boss. She's here. And I'm grateful <laughs> to her. have her. I am grateful to have her here. Anyway, hi, Kelly. Hello. Thank you. Yeah, it's good to have her here. And she doesn't usually hang out in sound studios. So this is a, something different for her. Um, but today we're going to outline some of the things we're going to we talk about. And you'll see I want Kelly to um, engage with us, but in the way she hears things. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And I think we'll be reaching a much broader group of people. I hope we do. Yeah, we, we hope that in our broadcasts that w we are speaking in a way that most listeners can get something of value from what we say, yeah. not just a narrow group of people. Right. And in that effort, we think Kelly is essential. She's been essential in that way and other types of things that we've done. She's helped us with how to talk in a way that more people understand what we're talking about and get value out of it. And I love that. And yeah. um, we want to reach as many people because we feel that what we have to offer is so important. Not because of our own egos, but because we know so many people are suffering and struggling with caregiving, with the responsibilities of caregiving, um, ranging from doctors, nurses, uh, <laughs> caregiver, caregivers being brought in for sickness and dying and um, so many different kinds of caregiving. And I'll tell you why I bring it up that way today. Um, I was I was uh, privileged this week to speak um, at a, a, a youth conference for uh, 
future caregivers of Amer- uh, America. Well, they were from or all healthcare, cultures. Healthcare workers. Healthcare workers of, of all kinds. Any kind of uh, discipline, that's right. That's right. And one of the people who put it all together, who's an astounding lady, young woman, beautiful young Peruvian, and her name is Narelle. Give me that last name again. Ararian. Ararian. And uh, if she's astounding. She's going to medical school or pre-med. Um, but she's a very down-to-earth girl. And she was a waitress there. And she's very engaging. At Ayahuasca. I- in Ayahuasca. We'll give them a little. They're an excellent Peruvian restaurant here in Petaluma. Mm-hmm. And Narelle, they're all related. So it's owned it's by her. It's family business. Yeah, it's all family. Yeah. But Narelle, uh, Friday was her last day. She's going back to school back east. Um, she goes to Brandeis University. Really, as smart as she is, she's also so practical and down to earth. But she was she is very much imp- uh, involved with. In fact, she she uh, put this together. It's for young caregivers, and it's called Youth Health Action Alliance. And uh, just let me read the first part of it. the uh, The conference was on stress and resilience. Isn't that interesting? Yes. That we focus on that. But I'll just read the first part of it. It says, Youth Health Action Alliance gathers physicians, psychologists, and community health workers to share stories of their resilience from times of stress. She says, Learn about the value of mental health, resilience, and various health care positions as you take home inspiring stories about perseverance. Well, it couldn't have been more on. She happens to be a fan of this podcast. She listens to all of them. Mm-hmm. She made, she likes them. And I think that's why she invited me to speak. And I was really glad to be part of that, that night. Um, one of the, th- what I found to be so, what I valued was that I was talking to the young people who are moving into the healthcare professions. Yeah, this was a, for high school and college age students yeah. who were interested in moving into some form of healthcare. And there were various forms of it. A number of them were wanting to go to medical school. Um, But it wasn't just medical students. It was others, too. But it was inspiring because they were there because they had hearts for caring and wanting to give and help others. Now, interestingly, a lot of them came from other cultures beside the United States. And those particular, those cultures do emphasize from childhood the value of taking care of the elderly in the family, the sick, the dying. They don't have, and I was told this the other day, they don't have assisted living facilities in certain cultures because the family takes care of their own. Mm-hmm. So the children from from a young age learn about caregiving and giving back and being selfless and and sensitive to the, to the struggles of elderly and sick and dying. Um, so they, to them it's a natural. There were a number of people at this conference from other cultures, and it was very interesting to talk to them. We also talked to other young people who were very motivated to become medical stu- uh, people, and what I saw was some of them were a little too, um, they were too lined up at a very young age to do all the things that were very important to get into medical school. Mm-hmm. And even one of the people on the panel who was an ER doctor, very fine, nice guy, good guy, even said the same thing about himself. He says, keep an open mind. Don't get so tight on all of this at such a young age because it will come together as you live and as you move through uh, what you're you're doing. And um, Steve is here today. He's our producer. He's a little 
different today. A little edge on him. But um, so we're going to, when he puts up a sign, it all said, poof. Yeah. You could feel it. Yeah. yeah. Well, this man, uh, oh gosh, his name was uh, Dr. Whitelaw. Yeah, and he was a he was an ER doctor and a nice guy. Um, His point too was that good doctors are more than just technicians; they yeah. are human beings. Yes. And when he, in his role now, will interview a student for a residency or intern position, he wants to know about the whole person, not just all the training that they've had. Yes. Because he knows that that's going to matter in the quality of the physician that they become. Right, and he was right. And there was also another woman there, outstanding nurse, and her name's Musetta Perizarse. But she's... Now, Musetta, don't be mad at me if I didn't get that name right. We stumbled a little bit, but... But you were outstanding. We thought you were amazingly... We we did. Yes. And she shared her life story of how she became... She's a nurse and teacher today. Um, But she shared about how she got to the place of wanting to become a nurse in the helping professions. Can we come back to yes. that? Let's mm-hmm. because I want to give time for for yeah. her. Yeah. It was she was impressive. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. In our first segment today, we introduced our guest, Kelly Barling. She's part of our caregiving team at the Institute, wonderful part of our team. And we also, uh, Peter started talking about an event that he had the privilege of speaking to last week, organized by an amazing young woman, uh, Norelle Ararian, who is uh, studying uh, pre-med and put together as part of her project for Youth Health Action Alliance a conference on resilience in, in, and uh, career guidance for students interested in entering the healthcare field. What will it take to succeed as not just a technical person or a professional person, but as actually a person who gives care? Yeah, and I think a lot of Narelle. From 19 years old, she's astounding. Um, she's a first generation uh, uh, from immigrant parents from Peru. I met her mom, lovely, lady, nice lady. Um, but I think one of the things that that I felt so good about number one, talking to young people that want to enter the healthcare professions, that was exciting to see what the young people are going to be like. What's our future look like? After seeing some of the people in this group and knowing Narelle. I have new hope for the future because these are outstanding young people. Um, One of the emphases that I, of course, really value so much is not to let our professional technical training begin to get in the way of our being a human being within the helping professions. A lot of people start out very well motivated um, and well-intentioned. And we've seen a lot, actually, a lot of people from other cultures um, who come to them it's a natural as far as you know moving into the helping care professions of one way but one of the things we've seen is self-care is really neglected and um, we wanted to emphasize how important that was but we didn't we really I made it a really strong case and I I know I did because I feel 
so committed to it, for people not to lose what motivated them to want to be selfless caregivers in the first place. There was a wide range of caregivers. There were people that wanted to be MDs, others that wanted nurses, others were going to be caregivers of other kinds. Uh, so I, I, but the one thing that struck me when I listened to some of the students that, when I say a concern, I wouldn't say deadly concern, particularly the med, the pre-med kids, is they get so rigidly locked in to what it's going to take to get into med school, what it's going to take to be well trained, and and on. To me, what I've learned about the medical profession is for some reason, they create barriers between the practitioners and the patients. And I've seen that over the years many times. I've advocated for families. Um, I know it's true. I don't know. I wasn't a medical student, but I've seen the end result. And I'll tell you what, it's, it's, that's, that touches me, um, not in a good way. I like to see the folks that are good technicians but have a heart and love for people and a caring and that they don't lose that just because of their training. So we emphasize that um, at this conference. It was, in a, it was a point of emphasis anyway. That was one of the things that Narelle asked you to emphasize. Yep. She wanted your, your, your presentation to reflect the things she's been hearing on our podcast. Yes. And there was a, we've heard stories. We were hearing the stories uh, and testimonials of folks on the uh, panel that were also speakers, and how they came to where they are in their professions today. Some of them were very touching. Very. We were. Um, I remember Musetta, the, the nurse and uh, teacher, and she spoke about how she got there in her teenage years and what she had to face in her own life, the difficulties, the death, the dying, the sickness. And her first impulse, I don't remember all the details of it, was almost to want to run away and not take it on. And somewhere along the line, she decided as a teenager she was going to not run, but she was going to embrace the responsibilities, and she was the responsible party at a very young age. She was the youngest she in her was, family. Yeah, she was a teenager, and she had to take responsibility for so much that was going on, and she decided to do it. And she talked about not running away from difficulties and adversity and struggles, which she said, and she was right, a lot of people, of course, all of us would rather, but she said she wouldn't and she didn't, and she didn't regret a day of it. And it eventually brought her to the helping professions of a nurse, and now she's a teacher, I guess in nursing school, I don't know. Um, but it was a touching story. It was a good story, and it fit a lot of the parameters and focuses of what we've been talking about. Later on, when I spoke to a lot of the kids that were there and their families, um, I re jokingly, I really emphasized, don't let your technical training and education get in the way of how much you want to help people and how much you care. To me, that is so important. It's taken me all of these years to come out of my training, and I've had a lot of it, and I've been... I've trained a lot of people and I've been in the professions a long time to come back to my humanity. And it's taken some very painful struggles in my life, especially now with my wife being so ill and how much she means to me and how that breaks me down and brought me back to myself about what's really important in life and how I value things and appreciate the simpler things in life. And I mean really I'll be fulfilled over the simplest things. But I now, I also realized, even though I went in the professions of, of uh, psychology a long time ago, and I don't do that anymore. I see myself beyond that, finally. 
um, that I realized I was there to, I thought I was there to help people. I certainly have helped thousands of people through trauma and recovery. But one of the things I realized is I was almost always seeing people as a, some kind of clinical case or really part of me was always looking at their personal issues and problems and and I would the process was called depersonalization the absolute opposite of what I wanted to do yeah. I wound up doing you said too that in that process you ended up usually putting yourself above them and so I didn't way. mean to but yes yeah and if I didn't do it people did it to me they wanted yeah. to put you up on a pedestal. Absolutely. And the minute it was Dr. Bernstein, things changed radically. I didn't even have normal relationships anymore. And I didn't really like it, to be honest with you. Most of the time, I wanted to be more human, but it was where people kept putting me. And I bought into it in many ways. Today, I don't. And I'm very cognizant of um, of being a, a fellow human being. That's what fulfills me. Uh, being there for people, being accessible um, to what they need, and also they're accessible to what I need. So it's very mutual and reciprocal. One of the things we're not we're not talking about my taking my problems and hemorrhage it all over other people. I know I don't do that, and I have boundaries, and I know not to do that. But it's I won't give up my humanity for anything anymore because I feel that's so important. Now that can involve, and we've talked about it, a lot of pain, a lot of emotion and struggles. Um, so I. I embrace that too. And fortunately, through the years of, of, of training and um, taking care, self-care was pretty darn important because I would not be able to have gone through the work I do for so many years and be on my feet at my age and be more turned on and more alive and in good shape today than I, I would have ever imagined, but I hope for. Um, but the truth of the matter is I did know how to take care of myself emotionally and physically. But I also was I taught I was taught kind of the the physical what the body really um, holds when we are exposed to stress and distress either from the past or the present and what I had to really pay attention to is how my body was holding these things and what it what would uh, what it felt like so I got to know myself pretty good it doesn't mean I cured myself or anybody cured me but I certainly got enough help to recognize my particular wounds my particular scars that were all mine based on my history based on my experiences I knew myself pretty well that way um, I knew my strengths I knew I was familiar with my weaknesses very familiar with them but one of the things uh, that it gave me was a, it kind of gave me a baseline reading of well I know my pain I know my burdens I know who I am so when I went when I was help, when I'd help people and I began to as a as a people caregiver, take on that when in the exchange of their distress, I've certainly took on their 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 energy, their distress, their pain. I felt that too, of course, as an empathic person, empathetic person. But what I recognized was it wasn't mine. This was somebody else's pain that I was carrying too. So I could sort it out better. I knew who I was, and I knew my baseline. Um, we all need to know that. This is a concept we've talked about before, and we've tried to kind of demystify it for people about this energy exchange that happens between someone who's caring, between someone who is giving care and someone who's receiving care. And the energy uh, burden that a caregiver can take on in this role 
and how to deal with it, uh, that it's even there, the awareness that it's there. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're here again. I want to make sure that we really make this clear. And I, I do hope Kelly can help us make sure that what we're saying is clear for people who don't have all these years of background like okay, we do. Okay, she can. And how do, how do we know? Because this was a subject that came up at our team meeting this morning. And that's why Kelly's here today. She talked about, and she actually, um, I've given her some papers that we've had published, part of a book that we've we wrote. And I wanted Kelly to take a look at it and find ways to rewrite it and say it in a way that would reach more people. And she talked about the. We wrote about it years ago, but she talked about it how the body is the is there there is a mind-body connection, and I've been careful about that because I don't want it to sound psychological, and she says, today it's not. Is that true, do you think? I think a lot of people are interested in the whole mind-body connection. It's a belief system that a lot of people are going with now Okay. instead of just medical. Okay. Now, to me, that when Kelly says that, I listen carefully. She also took some of the things that we wrote and kind of tweaked it and turned it around a little bit. And she was talking about, um, I brought it up, how the emotions affect the body. And, um, my God, I studied it for my Ph.D. was a big part of that. Um, But Kelly was talking about, reminding me of things that we had written. And I just looked at, I went back and looked at things we'd written in our manuals and whatever. And, Kelly, you were talking about there was a, a, what did you say? There was a place where the, the body and mind kind of come together. Well, definitely. I think that there's a lot of information out there that tells us nowadays that the mind and body are all connected. Um, Your paper specifically, we're talking about how emotions can get involved. Um, Right. No, don't don't worry about that. So Steve um, Flash in the science, she's gotten distracted too. Keep going. So you were talking about, I think you used the word like a junction between the mind and the body and and the way the emotions... Not that Peter's training was in it, but I don't think that many people understand clearly how the emotions affect the body. Yeah, and I just wanted to talk about that today, about how your emotional well-being can affect your physical health. If you are not in touch with stress and how it is held in your body, how you deal with it, all these things can come together and make it harder for you to deal with things in your life make it harder for you to walk through life as you are if you can find things that relieve these or decompress these emotions or physical restrictions then you can be more yourself without these hindrances okay I like I, I like, like how it. she says that. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Are we on a coming to a break? I have to say, you've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. In our last segment, we uh, reviewed a little bit more about some of the challenges of staying human and staying uh, 
caring and compassionate uh, for uh, people interested in entering the medical profession. It can get overwhelmingly clinical, and you lose something if that's where you go. Uh, we started to talk about uh, sort of the background of Peter's work for many years, uh, which has been uh, self-care and awareness of the burden of energy or negative energy or pain, however you want to put it, that happens uh, between someone who's caring and someone who receives that care. It can be a counselor, therapist, doctor, caregiver, any of those roles. And Kelly joined in to share with us about the mind-body connection and how that does communicate to so many people and how the recognition of emotions affecting the body can be so essential to staying healthy and resilient. Right? Yes. Yes. Right. The thing is, you know, it's interesting to listen to Kelly. I wrote a book on this. I did a Ph.D. thesis on it, a dissertation. Um, this is the kind of thing it's important to hear again, but to hear it in another way. Um, that's the, <coughs> excuse me, being in the field a long time. Today, I see myself as a consultant. I see myself as a mentor and a, a coach helping people recover from trauma. But for a long time, I was a, a psychologist, a therapist, and my training was on so much of that. But you know what's really interesting? How I can forget so much of what I studied, how much how much I wrote. And then when we hear about it from somebody else, and I hear how they state it today, it wakes me up to go, God, that is right. And I like it better today because it's we're, I'm hearing people speak about it in a more down-to-earth way that applies to what we are seeing people struggle with. Um, we know that if they're involved in giving, we're talking about, especially me, um, talking about being a caregiver when the life challenges come at us and they're going to come to all of us. We talk about there's a condition of life that most of us, certainly in the United States, would like to deny, pretend that doesn't exist, but it does. It's a condition of life where things are difficult, where we have to face very tough situations where loved ones who are sick and dying, uh, so many things that happen. Uh, really, any any kind of, we talk about adversity, stress, it could be financial pressure, it could be uh, any number of things. We focus on caregiving, mostly here, but just want to make sure, don't if you're not a caregiver, this still is something of and value. And that's what Kelly was so, she, we wanted to go beyond caregiving. In fact, we help young people that are being overwhelmed by tragedies and accidents of their friends at mid-twenties, young twenties, uh, and it's a, it's affecting, it's traumatizing them because they never would have expected at such a young age to lose a friend to, uh, to, to these terrible accidents. Or, and we helped a guy who we just adore, and one of his closest friends who was in his wedding was playing, just doing some flips in the water and broke his neck. Yeah. And it's so traumatizing when... Uh, you see a young, healthy, vibrant guy can't move, can't even breathe on his own anymore. And suddenly the life has changed. And that's what we're seeing so many people at different ages all of a sudden come to grips with the tougher side of life. These mm -hmm. aren't the things that we would have expected, mm -hmm. and yet we have to deal with them. Um, the trauma of them, how we're affected by other people's trauma. Yeah. And this young man who we adore and love is, was deeply affected. He's lost a number of friends at a young age from different kinds of accidents and tragedies. Mm -hmm. And he's looking at that and going, but we're, 
I'm 23 or whatever he was, and here I am going, having to face these difficulties. And how deeply affected he is, a caring young man, mm-hmm. and how deeply impacted he is by all of this. And I always look at him and I go, life isn't fair. And he goes, well, I don't think it is either. But I go, oh, most of us would have believed somehow that life was going to be more fair. But when we hit this difficult point in life, fairness doesn't come into grips at all and doesn't come into play at all. And it's not just one accident or one tragedy or one sickness. They tend to be multiple situations. And um, I just want to throw in, and I absolutely uh, want to say, Kelly, only share what you feel like sharing. But I do know that Kelly speaks, as she does, with the wisdom that she has because she has faced so many very difficult things in her that's life. That's right, on her own. Yeah. Uh, when we met her, she yeah. right when we met you. Yep. Weren't you just... Didn't you just go through cancer? I did. I'm a yes, breast cancer survivor. Yeah. Um, I think we all go through stresses in our life, whether it's health stress or work stress or family stress. And that just the understanding of that those stresses can find a home somewhere in our bodies and stay there. Whether we forget about the things that were stressing us or not, our body still remembers. And that's what I picked up from one of your papers. And I feel that it's important to understand how emotions can sit in the physical body and stay there. Mm -hmm. And if you don't purge those or decompress them or find a way to release that stress that's held within the body, you can't fully get back to the person you want to be. You have to figure out a way, some way physically, to get these purged out of your system so that you can continue a less stressful life and doing things that are helpful for others and being the true person that you want to be instead of always stressed out or too busy. Don't have time for these things that you would otherwise participate in. Your energy level gets low, and I just think that it's such an important thing that you guys have been talking about to preserve the people that are caring for others. It's such an important job. We want these caregivers in our world to keep going. Uh, We don't want them to burn out. We need them. (laughs) And I think that this podcast is a great way to tell people and show them how to identify these things. Um, not just physically, but emotionally as well. What yeah. they feel like. What does it feel like in your body? You've talked about being tense, holding stress in your shoulders, or having an upset stomach. These are warning signs. They can be. You notice I'm even quiet listening to Kelly, and that's unusual. But I do listen to what she has to say, and she's saying it in a very clear way. You know, she's talking about the imprints of these experiences and how they, we hold it in our body. And she's she's absolutely they right. They don't fade with time. They stay there unless we work through them, as she yeah. was saying. Yeah, and she is saying sometimes, you know, we, we the, the psychological is we suppress it or repress it, which means we don't consciously think about it anymore. But our body holds everything. Mm-hmm. And um, she's absolutely correct. The, the part of it is that a lot of times people have shut that sensitivity down, so they don't really connect with what they're feeling in their bodies anymore. 
it's 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 possible to kind of put things out of your mind. It's also possible to kind of numb yourself to what you're feeling in your body. And there's reasons for that. I mean, people learn to numb out. And, um, there are times when it's a good idea to keep shut down. We call it pushing the off button. And sometimes you need to be shut down. Um, if you're in a dangerous situation or something that's so overwhelmingly um, painful and yet you have to be effective at the time, you can't be vulnerable you can't be soft and sensitive. That doesn't fit the situation. So there's times when it's very appropriate to stay shut off temporarily. Temporarily. If, though, you don't come to grips with what you've absorbed when you've been turned... You see, you may feel that you're turned off, but your body doesn't ever totally turn off. It will come back on you. It, our body accumulates more and more of these, of these situations where we call a toxic buildup. When that happens... Um, you're going to find that your health will be affected. Your, Kelly mentioned your energy levels will be lower. Um, you won't cope as well. And you won't even be yourself anymore because the imprints are, they're kind of contaminating how you begin to see life and how you function. That was what Kelly's point yeah. was, that you no longer have uh, are able to be the person that you could be, to be in relationship with other people, to have the energy that you need, to care for others. It All of that starts to fog or burden you or prevent you from making those connections. Absolutely. Yes. And I think one of the, just the truth that I'm finding is one of the most confrontive and challenging relationships that brings us to the surface is being a caregiver of any kind. Because you're giving of yourself, particularly you're giving 100%. You're selfless. These people need you. They're distressed. They're pained. They're sick. They're dying. They're going through the very difficult ups and downs of that process and you're there to care for them and to, to be there for them and help them through it. Well, here's the interesting part. It challenges us because we're actually absorbing the distress, some of the distress that these folks are going through. We're part of it in some way. So it begins to strip us down and also it brings to the surface things that we've been holding in for a long time that we could have pushed out of mind that weren't challenging it. Well, Caregiving relationships bring all of that out to the surface. And if there's been pain involved and imprints that you haven't addressed, it it really makes the caregiving relationship much more painful and difficult. And after a while, although you need to be a nourishing, nurturing, loving person in those, it's very hard to sustain that and persevere and be resilient if your own stuff is being tr uh, triggered and stimulated. We've talked about that many times and uh, about the role of caregiving uh, stripping you or exposing you and making you face some of the things that you may have buried. I would love, if you would, Kelly, how would you put that? I don't know how clear that is to people. And from maybe you could say from your experience, what is it, what, when Peter was talking about being stripped or exposed and having to face yourself, what does, how would you put that? Yeah, you just really weighted down. You are not behaving how you would normally behave. If you're a upbeat, happy person, you feel weighted down. You feel a little depressed. You feel a little mm, lack of energy, not real motivation to do things that you maybe once loved. Um, those are all signs that something is going on that you need to really look at and find a way to get over and get past those things mm -hmm. so so I, I hear you saying that you discover that you are not the person you know you can be 
Yes. You 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 become aware it's that it's clouded. It's a different lens. Yeah. That you look through, that you see through, that you behave in. And to me, it doesn't feel good. <laughs> it feels like you, you're just barely scratching the surface of how you should be, you know? Yeah. And that to me is not the quality that I want to live. I want to have my energy. I want to be a happy person. I want to engage others. I want to help people. And to do that, you need to understand your body, your mind. You need to uh, stay in a more positive frame so that you can help those people. Because that's where you need to come from. You can't come from your head all the time. You need to have your emotions. You need to put it all together, mind and body, especially to be a caregiver. Especially to be a caregiver. And Kelly knows. it takes. Kelly knows. It really does take that. So does Jenny. Um, She's also excellent, um, and so do others. And what, which, what, what Kelly is saying is is absolutely down to earth true. Yeah. The the things that I hear as she's talking, I mean, we've talked about and we've broken it down, and I'll 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 say it in another way, is that there's levels when you're a caregiver of any kind, you're what they call an empath, a person that's more sensitive more open, more vulnerable. We're like sponges rather than the insensitive, cut-off type of person. Well, what Kelly's saying was because of that, it's gonna, you're going to take on more and you're also going to wind up looking at yourself differently after a while and you're not going to be the person you, you started out to be and how you wanted to be. There's reasons for it. Um, we talk about, we've talked about boundaries. We've talked about um, the levels and and Kelly's right. You, you, in other words, if you're really stressed out, you're in that hyper alert twenty four seven. You're on almost on edge. Um, we're not supposed to be. We're supposed to be into what they call self regulation, normal self regulation, where when the the charges the the crisis is over, the difficulties over, our systems let go. They let down. They they can. You know, they can uh, discharge the energy somehow. She talked about decompression. Well, that could be a good cry. That could be riding a horse. That can be going to the gym, a good night's sleep. Um, Things that have to do with self-care to help our bodies get back on track. When we are in that place of distress, the boundaries aren't working well anymore. And we're probably much more tuned in to the welfare of others than ourselves. We are probably not as fresh and nurturing and resilient as we were. Um, we may develop more resentment about being at work. We may, even the people we love, all of a sudden we resent being with them and being there. We've seen that with caregivers quite a bit. It happens. I've seen doctors who were brilliant at one time. Frankly, what they call bedside manner, these people don't even know where the bedside is anymore. They're rough. They're insensitive. They're cold. They're technical. And they're... They actually, I feel, add to the problems terribly. I've certainly seen enough of that as an, an advocate uh, uh, for people when that happened. But I've seen it in ed- lots of caregivers where they'll start turning to drugs. They'll start drinking. Um, doctors do it too. Um, they'll use their own. They'll, they'll drug themselves. But I've seen plenty of caregivers do that. That's a, a, not a good way to cope, obviously. But they've absorbed so much and they don't know how to let go. 
Yeah. So uh, there's so many factors to this, and we're reviewing essential ones. But uh, let's, so let's return to it. Okay. Uh, you've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. Uh, we were closing our last uh, segment with a discussion of what we take on in our bodies, uh, emotions, energy, burden, that unless we clear them can get in the way of our being the kind of people we know we can be, caring the way that we know we can, helping, relating, enjoying life and uh, the, an awareness of these burdens and what to do with them to clear them is essential self-care. Right. Now, some of the things that Kelly's alluding to, um, she talked about stress. Well, not all stress burns people out. Um, it's when the stress begins to take us into a, a different place where the stress begins to um, overwhelm us. And all of a sudden, things that we love, don't we don't love so much anymore. We don't get enough rest. We can't sleep at night. Um, there's so many different characteristics that begin to happen. So the stress isn't normal anymore. It's the kind that gets destructive. We've talked about the normal stress. We've talked about other stresses that aren't normal. We also talked about compassion fatigue, which is a, one of those warning signs where, um, and we all go through this. If you're a caregiver and a caring person and an empath, and relating type, not everybody's relational and they don't go through this. The folks that do, Kelly's one of them, um, and so are we, we relate. We, we, we feel what other people are going through. Um, but you can reach a point where you begin, to, you forget how to take care of yourself and the other person becomes so important that you forget that you have to take care of yourself. So your boundaries begin to fall away. You begin to feel resentful about things at work, even though you love the people you're working with. And um, you don't want to be there anymore. Or you don't want to, it, it takes more to get yourself renewed and rested up before you come back to work. Where if you just have the normal compassion fatigue and you, a weekend off, will, you'll be fresh and you're ready to work on Monday. That's not the end of the world. And frankly, that's common. But what we're talking about, <clears throat> what we're committed to, is preventing burnout. Burnout is you don't care about the people you, you care, care about. You don't care all. about yourself. Yeah. You don't care about your personal life. You There are no more boundaries. And frankly, you don't want to do the work anymore. Yeah. And you may do it, but you'll do it destructively. And I, we, you and I and others on our team have been called in when we've seen how caregivers of all kinds um, are shot. They're burned out. They're going through the motions. They're actually causing trouble. And they're a liability instead of a help where people who are they're taking care of need the love and the nourishing and the nurturing because they're sick, they're dying, um, they're disabled. And yet when you're burned out, you're not a good presence anymore. In fact, you're a bad presence. So we've seen how that can happen. We've been involved with many people, restoring them after they've been burned out. But Kelly is mentioning how our bodies begin to tell us what's going on if we're tuned in and is sensitive enough to our bodies to realize what do these different emotions begin to feel like in our body? Now, if you know what your normal burdens are in life and who you are, 
Um, that's that's good. That's your baseline. But when you begin to feel something else, where the resentments begin to build up, where um, you're taking on a lot of sadness, you're taking on a lot of anger, you're taking on um, uh, um, sadness, anger, pain, it begins to affect your own body. And those emotions that you begin to carry, are there, there are physical, biological reactions in your body while you're carrying them that are giving you a warning you need to take care of this because it's you're accumulating you're it and you're it not up. taking care of it. Yes. So what is it, like, if we just Kelly alluded to depression and said I would say in that place let's just say sadness. What does sadness feel like in the body? Well, it's a low feeling. She mentioned low energy. Um, it's a feeling where you know your thinking isn't right anymore and you're dreading things and you're feeling you're expecting the worst and you're afraid that things are going to happen and go wrong. You feel hopeless. You feel kind of helpless and isolated. Your thinking isn't right. Your body, where your stomach, Jenny has this. I have the other kind, but Jenny's her her stomach. I feel it in my stomach. Stomach gets queasy. That's yeah. the other physical reaction yeah. to fear. I'll just point out that, and, and this is the, like the mind-body connection that Kelly's been talking about and we talk about too, mm -hmm. but, but just the things you're reviewing here are the bodily sensations sensations, but it's also sort of the attitudes and the thoughts. It's all one picture. The attitudes will be affected. And we talked about the thoughts for just now. And the attitudes are obviously not going to be very positive anymore, nourishing and, and a positive outlook on life. It's dreading life, afraid, being afraid terrible things are going to happen, um, feeling hopeless and helpless, um, just feeling isolated and um, not very good. And, and I think Kelly spoke in a much more visceral way, you know, mm -hmm. not just intellectual, but this is what it begins to feel like. Yeah. So your body's beginning to tell you, well, things are beginning to happen here and I got to take care of this because it's affecting the way I see things in my life. Okay, that means the boundaries have been broken down already too much. Mm -hmm. um, what does anger feel like? Well, it sure doesn't feel like that. It's a different kind of feeling, and it takes a lot of energy, and you're on hyper alert. You're expecting an attack. You're expecting things to go wrong. You get on the defense, your attitude. Your jaw gets tight, really tight. Um, things begin that. Your muscles get tight. Your heart beats fast. Um, you're ready. You'll feel your fist. You're ready to hit something. You're ready to go at it. And mm -hmm. you react instead of respond Egg, in that Thank point. you. Yeah. There you go. That's going. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you react. You don't want to live in that. No. No, I don't. None of us do. And guess what? It happens to all of us it to one degree happen. or another. I tend to be the angry type. And one of the things I think I was telling Jenny or somebody today, the last thing that I want to do is hurt people I love. I don't. That's not my style. But if it's, uh, and I am dealing with grief at times, and there is some anger to it. If somebody has done something that's unjust or, or hurts I'm the first one to go at it and advocate and start getting into it. But the intensity of anger is too much. And I don't want to hurt anybody, and I scare people. I don't like that about myself. And yet, when I'm really hurting, when I'm grieving, like I do at times now, I'll find I'm not just sad and upset. I'm also really angry about how unfair life is, and I can't do anything to turn it around. I don't have control. I've got to work with what I got. I don't like that, and yet my body's telling me your your chest is getting tight. Um, your your some injuries I have a lot of them from competing in sports begin to hurt more. That's my body's telling me 
you're absorbing too much distress mm -hmm. and you've got to decompress it you've got to get away you you've got to go do some other things to get your mind off it maybe you even have to have a good cry or beat the bed or beat a pillow and i mean those things are legitimate as long as we don't hurt anybody in our work we see so many people come through like that we even see people coming through and they're so upset they throw up that's their way of getting a, a relief where our buckets are got all kinds of they're liners standing to them ready it whatever it has to be and yeah. it's, we're not talking therapy no we're talking getting people recovering and getting over the trauma, either their own or others, so they can get back on their feet and see life differently. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean we're changing what they have to go back and deal with. It means how they're going back and how they're seeing they it. They go back changed. They have hope again. Yeah. And they can, they can engage again and they can be more human again. This is not psychotherapy. No. In fact, we don't want people to start t using it against themselves and criticizing themselves and psychologizing. We want them to realize they're human. This happens to everybody, but it needs to be taken care of. Mm -hmm. And if it, you don't, it's going to interfere with your effectiveness in your life and the life of others that you're committed to helping. We, we're getting near the end of our, our podcast today. We've right. got a little while longer, and I just want to uh, just uh, check in with Kelly again and because I know she gives us the, the best feedback after our podcasts of the things that we didn't cover as well as we maybe should have. And I know it's much harder when you're in it instead of listening afterwards to know what really got covered well and what was missed. But is there anything in what, in what we've done today before we, before we get to the end that you would like to add or, or say a little bit more about? What, uh, give yourself a moment to think about that. Yes, well... I think you've done a good job today of identifying what these feelings might look like or feel like. Um, then it does start piling onto your body, and your body's going to feel it. When you're feeling down or overworked or all these things are, are piling up on you, it's going to start to f affect you physically. So to prevent burnout, to prevent other health problems from developing... It's important to be aware of these things that we talked about today and find a way to release them. Do something physical. If you work out, if you ride a horse, if you enjoy yoga, if you do something physical as one part to release the physical tension, that's good. Other things that you've talked about to release emotional feelings of talking to somebody in the same profession, getting support professionally to help you with those problems. Um, just being open to not taking it all on yourself and be open to uh, new ways to find happiness and how to get some of these pent up stresses released. And then tomorrow's a different day and you come back with a new attitude it's not always just piling it on top of the next thing. You find a way to relieve the pressure. Then you can take on more the next day. Mm -hmm. These are the things that will sustain a caregiver and keep them coming back to do such a great job that they do. Otherwise, they will get burnt out, and you don't want them taking care of your family members mm -hmm. or friends. No. You want the best person possible, and we can all be that. We just have to pay attention to these signs that you guys talked about today. And find a way to purge it out of our system so that we're ready to take on the next day. 
to the best of our ability. You had mentioned earlier in our staff meeting today about um, the spiritual side of things and meditation and... Uh, what else? I use that one. I I'm not a professional meditator, but I've been practicing it, and it does help me to calm my whole body, my body and my mind, and to just come more to a calmness within myself. And I'm not piling up all my thoughts together and thinking of all the things I have to do. Uh, it just brings me to a calmer place so that I can take on the day. Yeah, I'm so glad Kelly's here today. I am too. I I hope that we can have, that Kelly will come back more to Me feel too. more comfortable, because some of the subjects we we want to hear her comments on them, mm-hmm. um, and I want her to be part of this more. I we find I think- her to be very valuable and a precious person, and she's telling you about her herself more. Um, she speaks from what she knows. Yeah. Yeah. And I appreciate that about her. I appreciate all the work she does, and she does come back refreshed. Yeah. I've also seen when she doesn't want to come back, but that's not because she's not refreshed. It doesn't happen very often. It means often. she's having a good vacation, and she wants to stay there. Like she, that only happens to her, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It happens at yeah. times. But I know is, you were so disciplined. You, no. you, you didn't do that much, but no, no. It's this is too. this is a very special caregiver. Yeah. And she's very down to earth about it, and loving and attentive, and that's the truth. So thank, thank you. Very you. Much. Thank you. Want to have Kelly back? And uh, you've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. I'm Jenny Stevenson. If you'd like to know more about our show or about Dr. Bernstein, please visit our website at the Survivor's Guide to Life.com. Please like us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for listening. <laughs>